Um, tonight we're going to be carrying on our series on the book of James, and we're going to be thinking about our words. Now, I wonder what you think about words. I wonder whether you think they kind of have power, whether um, how we use them as well. It's reckoned, according to a few studies, that the average person speaks 17,000 words a day. Um, Some studies admittedly did say that guys may be about 3,000, but I feel like that was a bit harsh. Um, So let's go with the 17,000. To put that in context, that's like a 50-page book every single day. In a week, you're churning out the same number of words as in Harry Potter and the Prison of Azkaban. And then in a year, you're upwards of like seven copies of the complete works of Shakespeare. We spent a lot of our lives talking. It's about a fifth of our lives is spent using words. And that includes kind of physically the act of talking, but also things like texting, things like using Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, all of typing, all of these things use words. And so it's kind of only right in my head at least, only logical that if there is a God, which kind of, spoiler, as a church we do believe that, um, and that he's involved in our lives, he might have something to say about how we use such a big chunk of our lives. And he does, not only because this book was like some 800,000 words in it, I haven't counted all of them, I just Googled it, Um, but he also speaks directly about it. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, words that we use, the tongues that we use to use them. So we're in James. If you've got a Bible, feel free to open up to it. Um, James is found after Paul's stuff uh, towards the end of the New Testament, and we're going to be in James 3. It's also going to come up on the screen behind me, so don't worry if you don't have a Bible with you. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's a wonderfully encouraging way to start. Um, That has someone getting up to speak. You have this wonderful message from James saying, just to say, heaping burning coals on your head. Good job. Um, But actually, that's the sort of verse which is, is daunting a little bit when you're kind of standing up here trying to teach on what's coming. But it's also really helpful for us because what James is saying by it is that what we listen to really matters. That people who have an influence to speak into our lives, whether that's kind of preachers on a stage, whether that's bloggers, whether that's things we listen to on the internet, it affects how we are. And so what we listen to matters. Because just like in school where a good teacher can get you passionate, can get you interested into, into the subject, and then that bad teacher who you had, you, you never want to do that subject again. Good teaching and bad teaching leaves an influence. And so James is saying that actually for anyone who is speaking into your life, they're going to be held to to account for what they say, how it impacts you, how it influences you. And that's why personally I'm so grateful for, for having godly elders inside of this church, people who have devoted their lives towards being of good character, people who have devoted themselves to understanding what's going on here and getting hold of the truths within. Because ultimately, yes, they are going to be the ones who are held to account, no pressure, Tony, um, for how we live. But actually, it means that we also can trust them, provided they keep walking after God. Let's carry on. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. 
Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I'll be totally honest. When I kind of first saw that I had this passage on the rotor, I struggled a little bit. Not only because actually it's pretty straight up, it's quite easy to understand. James is saying, what you say matters. Tame your tongue. Give some analogies. He does the job of the preacher for them. Like, the analogies are in there. But also because I think I realized that deep down I was a little bit arrogant when I approached it. Because in my head, I thought that maybe this taming the tongue thing was kind of about kind of profanity, swear, swearing, kind of blasphemy, all that sort of stuff. Um, and kind of was thinking, well, I'm kind of all right with that. Um, and that's largely like, due to the fact that my parents were, I was blessed to have really godly, really wonderful parents who, who really modeled to me kind of the wholesome talk in that way. Um, things like, I remember that when I was about four or five and learned kind of th things like the expression, oh my God, as kind of a response to stuff, my mum genuinely sat me down um, and kind of went, maybe not the best way to do things. And like in our house, swearing just didn't come up except for when mum dropped a French swear word at the freezer. And then we learned eventually what it was. I'm like, mum, no. But Jesus kind of showed me that the reality is that that's not what it's talking about at all here. That in my kind of own self-righteousness, I completely missed the point of what James was saying here. You see, he isn't really talking about the explicit words that we say. He's talking about something that's going on much, much deeper within. That just as like when you're a kid and you go to the doctors um, and they kind of go stick out your tongue, they get like that oversized lollipop stick, press down it, and you have the foul taste of wood in your mouth for about an hour afterwards. And despite you feeling like the bubonic plague has made a hideous comeback for you and you only and you're about to die, they go, ah, just give him some cowpaw, he's all right. Somehow those doctors can, can gain an insight into what's going on just by looking at the tongue. James is saying to us, that how we use our tongues reveals deeper truths about what's really going on underneath. And ultimately, he's saying that it's a good way of testing how you're actually doing as a Christian. Whether you're growing up, whether you're maturing in your faith. Because this book as a whole, James's reason for writing is he's writing to a bunch of Christians who, who have got hold of the gospel. They understand that Jesus Christ has died for them. They understand that they're saved. But the way that they're living isn't mapping up to it. 
They aren't growing up in their faith. And so he's kind of writing them and saying, have you really got hold of all of this? Have you really understood what's going on? The book as a whole is basically kind of can be summarized as, yeah, you are safe, but you really aren't living like it. Grow up. So he starts off in chapter one by saying things like how you respond to difficulty, how you respond to trouble and, and suffering is actually a marker of just how well you're doing. He says things like in chapter one, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For in the age to come, he will receive the crown of life. He's saying by that, that how you respond, whether you understand the truth that Jesus has won the victory, that ultimately nothing will separate you from the love of God and that one day everything will be made right in him. And so we can live with our eyes fixed on eternity, knowing that what happens now is fleeting and can actually grow us as people. How you respond to difficult times, he's saying, matters is a marker of whether you've got hold of things. In chapter two, he moves on to talk about the way in which we live, the things that we do. There's things like that verse, faith without works is dead, as John so helpfully taught us last week. That's basically a way of saying, yes, you do have faith, but does it work? Have you really understood that Jesus wants to use you? He wants you to be his ambassador. And so how we live matters because it reveals whether we've understood what's going on and so in chapter three he moves to our words and just the way in which we use our tongues the whether we can control it whether we understand the fact that it's revealing what's going on deeper down inside also is a marker of how we're doing and so ultimately his challenge to all of us is are you able to grow up here how are you doing really with it he opens so helpfully. If we look back at verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. That's such a helpful verse. It really is. Because James hits the nail on the head. Because none of us can really argue with it. He's saying, look, all of us have struggled with this. All of us have, have never got it right with our tongue. We have all said things which actually, looking back, we wish we hadn't said None of us are perfect. And so I cannot stand here and say that I've nailed this. Absolutely cannot. James himself would say, I haven't even nailed this. There's a story back in Mark 3 where, um, where Jesus has gone back to his hometown. He's just kicking off his ministry. So when he's kind of telling people who he really is, his family come along when he's preaching and try and take him away quietly, it says, saying he's a madman. He's out of his mind. He's a lunatic. James was part of that group. He was Jesus' brother, and he knows that his tongue ran away with him in that moment and was like, this is my brother. He's not the son of God. He's an idiot. He's a lunatic. Don't listen to him. And now he's having to write to a bunch of Christians saying, you know what? That guy really was the son of God. And yeah, my tongue got away with me. You see, what's happened to James, as we're told by Paul, is that Jesus appeared to him when he, was when he was resurrected. And that view of the risen Jesus caused James to go, ah, maybe I was the idiot in that moment. Jesus really is alive. James knew he died and then he saw him alive and suddenly everything flipped on its head for him. And so James knows fully well that he too hasn't mastered this. He hasn't understood what it means to tame the tongue. And it's the same for all of us, those moments where we snapped or we've let uh, our feelings run away and words come tumbling out after it that are harsh, spiteful, or ultimately just try and pull someone down. Um, 
I was reminded when I was kind of thinking about this of a, a time a couple of years back um, when I went to see my sister graduate. And given everything that went on, it was a really wonderful day for us all because she'd had such a battle through university. It was a really special, really uh, particular time. But I remember making a few comments to my dad and, and my mum, kind of like, oh, well, it's not quite the same as Durham's, is it? Cathedral's not quite as nice. And, and when I was kind of, I was reminded of that, and Jesus kind of showed me that deep down, it just showed that there was a bit of jealousy going on inside of me. That my tongue was doing the outworking of what was actually going on deeper down, that in many ways, I, was kind of, I kind of was like, well, my sister's the center of attention now, not me. This is definitely not about me. Don't get me wrong. I didn't sit there hating the entire thing. But it was just a moment where Jesus again showed me, you know what, none of us have got this right. I cannot stand here and say I am the perfect person with my tongue at all. And so James is saying, you know what, given we're all in the same boat, how about we start to think how we can let the gospel affect it, how we can help ourselves out. James gives a bunch of analogies about just how powerful the tongue is. He starts off in verse 3 with the, uh, with the analogy of a horse um, and how it has a bit in its mouth that's attached to the reins that allows it to be kind of moved around. I grew up on Guernsey, um, which is kind of like island living. It's countryside living. And although you're normally stopped by cows crossing the road, uh, you also had horses walking around. And what you'd see would be like this 400-pound slab of meat and muscle which could kick in your head with a tiny girl on top of it controlling the direction it was going. And you're like, how does that happen? How does that work? There's a complete disproportion here. And the way that it works, James James reminds us, is that a bit goes in its mouth and allows it to be steered. He's saying it's the same for our tongues. That actually, the tongue has a real power over how we affect things, over how we speak to other people, the relationships that we have, the way in which we engage with the world around us. Again, we use words a lot. This small tongue, this small part of our body, is probably used more than any other muscle in our body. He uses the analogy of a ship after that, ships being one of the largest structures that the, the Christians he was writing to would understand. And so he's saying, look, this massive ship, which would carry thousands and thousands of tons upon it, sailing the oceans, being buffeted by the winds that could tear the roof of the very houses that you're living under, that's controlled by a rudder, isn't it? A tiny bit of wood. Same ultimate end to the analogy. The tongue may be small, but boy, is it powerful. His point is simple, that the tongue may be small, But actually, if we manage to tame it, if we manage to start to keep it under control more and more, then actually, we're really cracking on with our face. We really are, he's saying. That by it, we're able to be able to control a lot more that's going on inside of us. Anger, lust, impatience, pride, all these things. If we can keep control of our tongues, he's saying, then actually, you're doing pretty well. But he also wants to say that let's not be uninformed about here. He goes on to say how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Yet again, James is wonderfully simple and to the point inside of all of that. The tongue's dangerous as well. Really does have a power. Look at what he says in verse 9. With it we bless the Lord and Father, but equally we can curse someone who's made in his image. 
On Sundays, we can, we can be singing God's praises. We can be using our tongues in such a constructive, such a good way. But yet, the ne- half an hour later, we might be standing, sitting in the pub and gossiping about someone behind their back. It's one of those things where you realize there's a paradox going on between actually giving life but also destroying. And James is saying that's true. Why? Because none of us are perfect. All of us are marked by sin. And so we need help inside of it all. There's that old childhood phrase, isn't there? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, whoever said that was clearly either deaf in that they never heard a word in their life or deserved to have a gag shoved in their mouth immediately after saying it. Because it's utter nonsense. It really is. It's utter, utter rubbish. I know that I've been really hurt by words that have said to me. I know that I've said some words that have hurt other people. And I'm sure that I'm not alone inside this room. The words that we say can destroy just as much as they can give life. Some of us may carry statements or words that have been spoken over to us that have hurt us for years. Words that maybe have made you feel like you're unloved, you're not worthy. That an event that happened was all your fault. You're not good enough to do what you want to do, to be who you are. And I think that's why James ends all of this in the way that he does. Right at the end, um, down in verse 17, he speaks about how God speaks, what godly wisdom's like. And he says this, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The reality is that God speaks very differently over us than we often speak over each other and ourselves. He's a God who speaks life and life begins. He's a God who speaks countless promises over you and we know that every single one of them is yes and amen in Christ. He says that you as an individual are holy, you're blameless, you're beyond any form of attack above him, that there's nothing in the heavens or the earth that can separate you from his love that he loves you with an everlasting love, that you're honored, that you're precious in his sight, that you're known by name and so valuable. All of those things are true over you. And for some of us this evening, maybe actually a way in which we respond to this message is, is actually by allowing God to speak truth over us, by allowing God to speak life over us instead of the hurt that's damaged us in the past. And I'd like to say that at the end, there will be an opportunity for, for people to receive prayer for anything um, that has gone on in this meeting. But for you, maybe, there are things where you're like, this has hurt me deep. Words that have been spoken over me have really hurt me. We'd love to get alongside you. We'd love to put an arm around you and say, let's pray that the God of peace, the God of comfort, Jesus as Prince of Peace would come and draw near to you. Before we get there, practically speaking, James is talking a lot here about taming our tongues. What does that actually look like, though? In real-life situations, what are some of the ways that we can go about taming our tongues? Well, the first is this. I think that James would say that instead of speaking words that destroy, the challenge is for us to reflect God in speaking words of life. Let's, I'm sorry, I'm going to have a theology moment, but let's go back to the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it says. How did he do that? He spoke. He used words. He said, 
Let there be light and there was light. God, the creator, he speaks life into existence and it happens. He breathes life into the dust and we're formed. He says, let us make mankind, men and women, in our own image. And what happens? They're made. He speaks and life starts. He's a God who speaks to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, who says to Abraham, commits himself through the words that he says and says, I will be your God forever. You will be my people. He says, I will make you the father of many nations to Abraham, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That is true over us as well. But it's the act of speaking that God does. He does it with Moses. He actually says, you will be my mouthpiece to people around. We serve and we love and we worship a God who uses words, and his words give life. And then ultimately, a little bit further on in the story, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Ultimately, in Jesus Christ, we see the word of God, the one by which all things were made, come to earth as a man. And so we know that when the word speaks, that is true. That when he says things like, it is finished on the cross, we know conclusively and resolutely that life eternal is ours, that nothing will separate us from the Father again. So we serve the word himself. And so the words that we use have power because ultimately they reflect God himself. And so God is the giver of life, the father of all lights, speaks life. And so what does it mean to tame the tongue? I think ultimately it means to speak life instead of death. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.10, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Both of them are saying, don't let things that would destroy others get, come out of your mouth. Give life instead of what would die. Paul, you could summarize what he says there by saying, only speak to others what you'd be comfortable speaking to their face. We can so often engage in kind of that, that gossip culture, can't we? We can engage in those moments where we speak about someone behind their backs. We allow our tension, our frustration to, to come when they're not in the room. What does it mean to tame the tongue? Well, it means actually to sometimes not speak or only speak truth that we'd be comfortable saying to someone's face. That suddenly puts a whole perspective on it, doesn't it? I know that I definitely say things where I'm like, I wouldn't say that to their face. I wouldn't say that to their face. They'd probably hit me. But actually, the challenge here from, from James, from Paul, from Peter is that is not how you tame your tongue. Instead, speak life. And I think that can be summarized quite easily. Be encouragers. Be people who speak good things about each other. The reality is, I know that as guys, we suck at this a lot more as well. Like, we're really not good at saying to someone else, you know what, you're really great. Like, you nailed that. Good job. But as a whole, speaking encouragement is wildly countercultural as well. Like, it just doesn't happen. We're very quick to, to, to tear down and to destroy. But actually, to actually say to someone else, you know what, you're really good at that. Good job. I, this was hammered home to me a couple of months back when I was playing a football match. Um, and it was not going well. It was utterly, utterly terrible. Um, we were being absolutely battered. I think it was about 10-0 at half-time. Probably shouldn't play again. Um, 
And there's a moment in me where the team was kind of, the team was kind of obviously no knew that we weren't playing well. Like, no one needed to say, we're not playing well here, boys. Um, we were against one of the best teams in the country, yada, 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 but the reality is we were just poor. Um, and there was a thought going through my head of, and I prayed it, Jesus, how can I reflect to you right now? What, is, what are the things I can do? Because reality is, I really don't want to be here anymore. I just want to walk off. And he just said, you know what, be the, be the most positive voice on the pitch. Encourage people, applaud what's good. Everyone knows that they're not playing well. You don't need to tell them that. Instead, applaud what's good, and maybe, just maybe, we can actually have some fun in this in the end. And so I constantly tried to do that. I, was, I tried to applaud what was good, tried to say, well done, instead of, what are you doing, you idiot? And you know what? That second half still got battered. I th- but we scored two in it. And, th- and the end result was that we walked off the pitch with a smile on our face. And the proof of how countercultural speaking life, of how speaking encouragement was, was that in the end I end up being voted man of the match despite being the guy at the centre back who conceded 17 goals. There's no way that should happen. Literally, no way at all. And their reasoning in the, in the group was he just kept being positive, he kept encouraging. I had to choose to do that. But it proved to me that actually by being people who speak life instead of speaking what's destructive, it does really speak out to the world around us. That people might say, what's different about you? Why do you encourage me so much? And then maybe you can say, well, you know what? God loves you. God values you. You're made in his image, so of course I'm going to encourage you. I'm not going to tear you down. The second way I think that we can work on taming our tongues is by actually doing it together by helping each other out, by being prepared to speak truth to each other and speak the truth in love. The Bible's got a whole load of things, practically, that it says we can do. Things like earlier, James in the book says, be uh, slow to speak, quick to listen. Listen, simple. But actually by asking people and going, you know what, how am I doing with this? Or being prepared to say to another person, maybe just, maybe you're a bit quick to snap there. Or maybe in those, in those groups where banter's flowing. Um, and it just crosses the line a little bit too much. And you, you know those moments, don't you? Because the person who you're largely mocking, face just goes from laughing to just suddenly drops a little bit. And you realize that maybe something's been said that's just a bit too far. We can be the people who can step in and say, you know what, maybe that was too far. Or apologize for what we said. But... Um, but I've kind of realized that doing things together makes life so much easier. I've been running quite a lot recently, and, and, uh, and last week I went for a long run with, uh, with Colin, who does our kids' work, and Tom, who is playing electric tonight. And the reality was we worked much better together than I ever could on my own. We went further than I would on my own. We pushed harder than I could on my own. We got PBs. Why? Because we were there together. We were able to say, you know what? I'll take a stint up top now. You just follow behind me. I'll be your windbreak. Follow behind me. Go on, keep going, you can do this. Taming the tongue, Christian life ultimately is best done in communities. why we talk about it so much. Allowing other people to speak truth into your life can actually help us do this. Um, I've had two moments in my life where my mum has, uh, has kind of directly challenged me on how I speak. Um, neither of them I'm particularly proud of that it had to happen. <laughs> But I'm so grateful she did. The first time must have been about six or seven years ago. And uh, she said to me, 
I think I'd snapped in kind of like a kind of argument and just said something a bit rash. And I'd hurt her. That was the truth of it. And she just turned around and, and went, Nick, you can be a little bit impatient sometimes. And the reality was it was my tongue that had shown, that had revealed that. That there was an impatience inside me that ultimately was like, no, 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 no. Nah, look, shut up. Doesn't matter. And it, it hurt to hear that. It did. It, it doesn't feel nice when someone reveals that you suck a little bit. Um, but I'm grateful she did. And then about two years ago, I, again, I think I just kind of, I snapped at something. I can't remember exactly what, but she just turned around and went, Nick, you can have a sharp tongue occasionally. And I'm grateful because both times it showed me I needed to apologize. But it also showed me a side of my character that, that needed some work. That an area where my tongue needed to be tamed. And I'm so grateful that she did because it did start me along that process of going, Jesus, help me out here. Help me to tame this. Of talking with other people sometimes and going, you know what, am, am I a bit like that? And, and them in love helping me out with it. And it was kind of, and I saw the fruit of it. I saw how Jesus can use what it means to speak the truth in love, to tame the tongue together. Um, even just this last week, um, I went to see her and my sister um, when my sister had to go into A&E. Um, she's been in quite a lot of pain over the last while. And, and so we were in A&E, and, um, and my sister was, was in a lot of pain. Like Her face was kind of in that screwed-up pain stage. And so it's not pleasant seeing that. Um, and I was a little bit annoyed, I was a bit frustrated at the staff because uh, they were doing their best, but equally, she's in pain, do something, please. And my mum kind of um, just started chatting, like, and I think it was just her way of coping. Um, and she was kind of chatting away about kind of like a program that they were watching on TV, I think it was some form of Bake Offy thing, and, and I was just, and there was a, that impatient, snappy, sharp side of me wanted to rise up in that moment, I felt it. I felt it wanting to go up and go, Mum, please, no. Don't really care. I'm not proud that that happened, because it shows that I've still got work to do in my character in it. But I'm grateful that my mum had the courage those years ago to speak in truth into my life, that I could recognise in that moment and say, actually, you know what, tongue, you are not getting away with me here. Able to realise what was going on and say, you know what, because my mum has helped me through this, Actually, I can grow up a little bit in my faith and instead love her rather than snapping at her. That ultimately is what doing this all together is about. And also the fact that when you practice, when you're preaching a message about taming the tongue, it's a bit ironic if you snap. Um, but ultimately, it's doing this together. We're in community for a reason, we're in family for a reason. And then finally, to tame the tongue, we need to understand that it's revealing something that's going on deeper inside. Because just like that doctor who's able to tell that you, you are ill or you're not ill by looking at your tongue, the tongue also does reveal what's going on deeper inside. Jesus, in Matthew 15, 18, makes a comment saying, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. In Luke 6, he rephrases it and says, out of the overflow of the heart, what's... The heart is full of, the mouth speaks. What Jesus is getting at there, what James is calling us to grow up is, is that actually by getting hold of our tongues, we can actually do quite a lot of work on our hearts as well. That if we recognize inside of us, you know what, maybe there is some anger kicking around and it means that I snap. Actually by going to the root of the issue, 
we can tame the tongue as well. Just like I, I had to learn that I have an impatient heart um, by how I was using my tongue. If you find yourself with a tendency to, to snap or to explode, chances are that there might be some anger inside of your heart. If you're quick to be cynical, if you're quick to put people down or to, to deflate a situation, there might be cynicism kicking around inside of you. If we're constantly talking about ourselves, if sharing our victories, what's going on in our lives, our successes are one-upping whenever we get the chance, there's more than a chance that there's a bit of pride, a bit of jealousy, a bit of self-centeredness going on deeper down inside. All of these things can sound heavy. They do. And, and James's truth, more than anything else, is that none of us have got this right. And so we are all more than in the same boat. That actually by working together, by being people who speak life rather than speak death, we can work and help and call each other up and, and say, you are better than this. Jesus has walked more into you, live more in the fullness of what he's done for you. The single greatest truth of the gospel is that none of us can do it on our own. It's the most freeing, most liberating thing that can happen to us because suddenly it's, well, you know what? Let's all get in the boat together and help each other out. Or more, actually, you know what? We serve a God who doesn't leave us stuck in the pit, who climbs down alongside us, lifts us up, doesn't leave us in filthy rags and in squalor and dirt, but instead gives us his own clothes, his own righteousness for us. He would say, you are washed whiter than snow, and so live as people who are free. God ultimately would say over us, James would say over us when we think about taming the tongues, this isn't a heavy thing. This is just a way in which we can respond yet again. A way in which we can say, you know what, Jesus, you've done so much for me and more than I could ever ask and imagine. So you know what, let's try it out. Yeah, we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. But actually, you know what? Thank you that I'm not perfect, but thank you that you were for me. And so kind of as... James does in this, I think there is a challenge to leave us with. How are you doing with taming your tongue? Is your faith being outworked by how you speak? The words that come out of your mouth? Are you able to curb the excesses of your heart? Or actually do we need to allow the great doctor Jesus to come in and help out? Why don't we pray? Jesus, thank you ultimately that, that you are the perfect word. Thank you that, that the truth is that we all stumble in so many ways. You know that, we know that. But yet you love us. You help us. You saved us. Thank you that, that you call us into becoming more like you. And looking at the way which you spoke, looking at the way in which you engage with the world around you, I know I want to be like that. Speaking words of life, speaking words of love, speaking encouragement and, and hope over people. Help us, Father, help all of us to be people who, who take this challenge seriously, to tame our tongues. Help us to be people who ultimately recognize that we aren't perfect, but you 
have already won the day for us. Help us, Father, as we go about our uh, lives this week to be people who do speak life into situations. Help us to encourage. Give us opportunities this week to encourage others. Help us to allow other people to speak truth into our lives and give us the courage to, in love, speak truth to each other as well. And finally, we thank you that that you love us despite the fact that, yeah, there is anger, there is impatience, there is jealousy, there's self-centeredness, there's all sorts of things kicking around inside of us, but yet you love us and you've called out and you said you're wholly blameless beyond any form of approach before me. So help us to walk in line with that. Come help us, Holy Spirit. Amen.